Greetings all and welcome to Marju Call, editorial meeting and podcast for Quest on Media. You're joining us for our tech episode led by our resident self-described fembot and founding member of Quest on Melanie Feliciano. Thank you for joining us, Melanie. Thank you for taking the lead on this. Uh, I want to also welcome Amelia Gonzalez. Welcome back. Uh, as always, Eming Piancai is here. Thank you. Uh, and Charlie, always, always a pleasure. It wouldn't be right if you weren't here. Uh, as I mentioned, today is our tech episode uh, as an extension of our tech vertical, which is called Technocracy. Uh, and I want to share our short description of the vertical before I turn it over to you, Mel, because I think we did a good job describing it. Has anybody else seen the definition of uh, technocracy, the, the name that we've chosen for our vertical? I think Eman, you have, right? Yeah, I put it on the website. Yes, that's a very good <laughs> Well, it's true. Um, not, a, not everybody reads everything that's on the website. If I assumed that, I would be doing myself a disservice. Um, so I'll just read it from the top. It's very nicely formatted here. Technocracy, noun, the control of society by an elite of technical experts, which is the actual de- definition of technocracy. But our definition is Quest on Media's coverage of our virtual world. Technocracy explores tech culture, tech trends, tech identity, data, music, and the new world order that splits our human experience into VR and IRL. Uh, that definition was provided to us by the editor of The Vertical, Melanie Feliciano, everybody's favorite fembot. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks so much for being here. I love this definition. Talk to me about the difference between VR and IRL. Sometimes I don't know which one I'm in. Uh, okay, thanks for the intro, Russell. Um, it's always nice to talk with you guys. The VR is virtual reality and IRL is in real life. So, I mean, it's just, I think right now we are in VR. This, is, this, this entire podcast is VR, isn't it? But it feels like real life. We're all in different places right now. That's what I mean about the ambiguity of it. Like when I write emails, when somebody sends me an intro email, like, oh, I want you to meet my friend Jamal. Like he's a writer, blah, blah, blah. I always say it's nice to meet you. Like I don't even put meet in quotation marks anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, yeah. Or if you're like a corporate nerd, you always say nice to virtually meet you. Yeah. I don't say stuff like that because I'm not a dork. Yes, they do say that. Yeah. Probably in the last 15 years, we have all split our lives between this virtual identity that we have and then ones that that are actually face-to-face. And I've noticed that I'm a different person when I'm online versus when I'm face-to-face with people. I don't know about you guys. Is that the case for you? Do you notice this? Is it possible to be who you actually are online and you know who you are in person? I keep it real 100% across the board without fail. There is absolutely no distinction between my online presence and my in real life presence. I just want to put it out there. And I'm not saying that to brag. I do think I'm the exception. Good Uh, for you. Good for you. Congratulations. Amazing. And the award goes too. All right, fine, fine. I wasn't fishing for praise, but I'll take it. No, I I say that uh, because... A lot of the time I am surprised by how much difference I notice uh, in just in friends of mine and the way that I interact with them online versus when I see them, usually politically, right? Like I observe people online. I'm like, man, this person is a fanatic. This person is has lost their damn minds. All they ever think about, like their lens on the world is 100% political. It's about this issue. 
And then I meet them and we just hang out and talk and they're just very normal and they don't even mention anything about politics the whole time. You know, that's one example that I've noticed. And I don't think they're being fake. I was joking. I mean, half joking about people being fake. Um, but that's one that's, example. I think that's a really good example. That's a perfect example, actually, I think. Yeah. I always think like, oh, my God, this guy's off the deep end, man. He really thinks the earth is flat. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, like I hang out with him and he, you know, it doesn't even come up. <laughs> he never mentions the, the shape of the earth. It's just, you know what I mean? <laughs> What about you, Amelia? Do you have do you have different identities online versus your real life person? Yeah, I have like three. Um, Twitter and no, oh, she, she can um, count three. Okay. <laughs> I'm I don't. I'm so sorry. I like haven't had a Facebook since high school. But one thing I always notice on Instagram is the people who always post about like the relationships. Like they're like, I'm in love. I love this person. Whenever I like really meet them in real life, they're like, Oh my god, I hate them. <laughs> That's one thing that I feel like across the board always happens. Everyone, at least like what I've seen, and I think especially for Instagram, like for me, um, it got super popular like my junior year of high school, like everyone in high school was doing it. And so it was a lot. And now there's this new thing where you have like a fake Instagram. I don't know if you guys have heard about, right? Like you have your Instagram, but then you have like a fake one, which is like your real you. Like what you really think about things, you're like raw self. Yeah, it's very confusing, but it's it's like your raw self, just as you are. Like what your real thoughts are. You know, you're like selfies in random house places. I don't know. And then there's like the like the other Instagram where like your filtered coworkers, yeah, filtered one. So that's an interesting thing that I've noticed. Uh, Yeah, now have like three. There is a there is an episode of The Office where I don't know how many office heads we have here, but where Dwight has a second life. Oh yeah, that's an episode. And yes. within within Second Life, he has a, a second second life, <laughs> right? <laughs> because in his second life, everything is exactly the same about his regular life, except that he can fly. I think a lot of people have those personas, kind of what you were saying, yeah. Amelia based on what the platform is like on Facebook, like your friend, your friends with your grandmother on Facebook. So you better be a goddamn saint. Right. <laughs> Whereas like on Snapchat, you could literally be topless doing lines. And <laughs> that's kind of what Snapchat is for. You have different versions of yourself. I think that's true. And it's not really like fake or real because that's what we do in real life. Anyway, if you're hanging out with your grandmother, you talk really slowly about how well school is going and then when you're with your friends, like, give me the cocaine, you know? <laughs> so it's not, and then you take your shirt off. So it's not fake. It's kind of just what we do anyway, the way that we communicate with people. So mm-hmm. in, in defense of people being fake on the internet. Yeah. It's not fake. It's like, how do you want to portray yourself in this moment? Based on how you think you'll be received. Yeah. Except that there's a consideration that we didn't used to have. You used to be able to just act this way with your friends and act that way with your grandma, but now you have to have a public persona, which is, you know, you're like branding yourself. Yeah. You're branding yourself. Am I, <laughs> am I, is it, am I a flat earth brand? Am I a topless <laughs> cocaine brand? Am I uh, headed to Bible study brand? You know, humans are complicated. I like to think I have all of those selves inside of me. It's hard to know what's appropriate to project. Right, right. So that's actually how I came up with the name for my pseudo company. I have a fake company called Multimedia District. It's not actually established as an LLC, but I like to think that it is. 
And then, so within that world, I have all these different personas and different characters that I've created, and they're all based on the different places that I live. Um, you know, in Brazil, I was, I thought I was Brazilian. And then in San Francisco, I thought I was a native San Franciscan. Um, and I have different characters that I've created based off of these. And it's, it, it makes me wonder if I've got the multi, multiple personality, like symbol, Sybil, Sybil. Uh, uh, yeah. Although I, I remember hearing <laughs> that, that was actually not a real condition. Like we used to when say, did like, you oh, hear that? Yeah. oh, so that was fake. I saw yeah, that in my that was psychology class. Yeah, things have changed. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they got a new textbook now. It's on an iPad, okay, so, and there's a chapter so there's called no such There's thing No now. Such Thing as Multiple Personality Disorder. Oh, that's too bad. That was a There was one. another show recently about a woman with multiple personality disorder, like in the last yes, five years. Yes, it was really oh, good. It's on, it was on Showtime, right? Yeah, what was it called? Amelia, help us oh out. Oh, my gosh. It's in your that brain. That's that amazing that actress. actress. The Many Faces of Terror, oh, or the oh, Terror. Uh, yes. United States right? of Terror. United States yes. of Terror. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. United States yeah, yeah, yeah. of Terror. Oh, United my gosh. States of Terror. Oh, she was that, great. That, that took a village Amazing. to come up with that. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> so now, so basically, everybody has multiple personality disorder because you have to inhabit different selves for whatever your like public persona is. I think that's accurate. So I got to ask, the person <laughs> who's been quiet this whole time, Charlie, how about your social media presence? Do you feel like you have personalities on your... On your different accounts? Boom. A, uh, yes, as a parent, very familiar with kids living double lives on uh, social media. Uh, my daughter has two accounts um, on damn near everything. The one that I follow her on and then the one that her and her friends talk colloquially amongst each other on. As a parent, have you decided like you should let her have that life with her friends because that's not really your business or what, how well, have you navigated that? At this point, she she 18 at this point. So, you know what I'm saying? I feel like I raised her right and she's uh, uh, somewhat, uh, you know, she's a quasi adult in today's society. I know that at the end of the day, all... All I'm missing out on on her private accounts is a bunch of her and her friends cussing amongst each other. I feel like when I was in school, I didn't have a phone, but I had my own identity. I was who I was outside of the household. You know what I'm saying? These days, they can kind of be that inside of the household uh, through their phones. And I, I and in a lot of ways, I don't see it as nothing but healthy. Because if you can get a glimpse of it as a parent, you get a glimpse of who your child like really the fuck is. What's um, your what's your I'm curious what your persona is like on the Charlie. I think I follow you on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook that much. Uh what what is your approach to that? We each of us kind of chimed in on our dualities and different selves. Like how conscious uh, you okay, are so about how first, you present yourself. When I first started my Twitter and Tumblr accounts. I was trying to build like, I don't know, a fan base. I guess that was, I came into social media kind of understanding that that's how that shit worked. Like you come in trying to build uh, uh, a bunch of followers for whatever reason, you know what I'm saying? So I came in with a bit of a persona, but the issue there and lie that damn near everybody I followed when I first came in, which is the opposite of what most people do, is I followed everybody I know, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because me and the people I'm close with 
are uh, spread so far apart geographically. Social media is how we interact. It didn't jive my persona because uh, I was kind of a, a asshole, trolly, trash talky uh, type of persona. And it didn't jive with a lot of my loved ones, my friends and family members. I have a biting sense of humor. I could be a dick. It turned a lot of people who knew me long-term off. And so a lot of people uh, who I knew in the beginning kind of unfollowed me at the beginning of my whole social media shit. Uh, and then uh, I think what happened is um, I kind of fell out of social media, like my real life, little dramas and situations and shit uh, took over and I fell out of social media and I didn't get back into it really until Instagram. And then the and meme, now, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because you're, your role there now or your presence there is a lot different because you're an artist, you're a photographer and that's your, your platform for that. Correct? Yeah. And I have, I have two accounts. I have my regular me nigga account and I, I have my uh, photographer. That's a good account. name for a social media app, <laughs> by the way, you should go reserve that name and develop that app. I have my photography account. And at first I was just going like promote my photography through my regular me nigga account. But then I realized my regular me nigga account like run some money off of me. You know what I'm saying? So if somebody see my photo and my, and my photos and they interested in hiring me for event or, you know, interested in working with me on a documentary project or whatever, then they see like, oh, this nigga be in the hood and smoke a bunch of weed and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that might be a turn off to some folks. Kind of like we were talking about earlier, you act differently with your grandmother than you do with your friends, right? You have to separate those selves. I learned how to co-switch. Like even right now, this is like a softened version of myself because it's more than just, it's more than just like words and saying shit. It's looks, it's gestures, it's, you know right. what I mean? Shit that you can't really communicate in print or even in video a lot of the times, because if people don't have the background to get the context of the communication, they're not going to be able to rock with it. These concepts, you know, we were talking about this kind of stuff in the 90s, right? Sandy was talking about young people being super communicators. And at the time it meant, you know, you were a person who could write and maybe you could rap and, um, you know, you were interested in uh, storytelling or, you know, that was around the time that people started doing spoken word poetry. And she was really interested in the idea of promoting and developing young people as super communicators. This now, you know, a full generation removed, you know, the people who are your children's age, they are truly super communicators. People who use all aspects of code shifting to be different versions of selves across different media outlets, making websites, making videos, making skits. You know, if you include Vine, in all of those, essentially, you're creating media across six or seven platforms, which is something we, we couldn't have even dreamed of. There's one, Obviously. can I just say one, this is actually an actual story idea, and I'm sorry to interrupt Mel, yeah. but I want to say it before I forget it. Obviously, everybody's talking about cryptocurrency uh, and like alternative currencies. One thing that I've heard, because I have a lot of young clients, and I hear a lot about the nature of people's alternate lives online, and I have heard that you know, and Charlie has teenage kids, so he's, he knows all about this, too. Or maybe they do a good job keeping it secret from him because he's the dad. you got to keep secrets from your parents. But likes uh, are a form of currency. My question for you is, are any of them talking about boob coin? Did you say boob coin? Wow. Like, like I did literally say boob coin. coin. That's what I heard. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. So I don't know what it is. Can I wager a guess? <laughs> is that how you pay somebody? Yeah, you know, there's 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 Bitcoin, there's Solar Coin, and there's Boob Coin. <laughs> yeah, but is that how you pay somebody for nudes? Like if you say like. <laughs> Send me, send me a topless yeah. pic and I'll send you I, 10, 10 boob coins. I've never heard of boob coin, but I'm investing. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right now, the, the stuff sells right. itself. You take two things that everybody loves. Well, I just, I just wanted Tell to Tell us what it is, Melanie. What is it? I only have so many Google ways it? I so, can rip on So, so in, in the Fembots, Dr. Nutmeg is a boob coin billionaire. And I just actually pitched pitched this to Adult Swim uh, two hours ago. So and for our listeners went, and for everybody in the room, I just want to let people know that Melanie Feliciano has a television show called Fembots. One of the characters is Dr. Nutmeg. I know a lot about the Fembots, but I did not know about Boobcoin. I guess I haven't she's, watched She's a Boobcoin billionaire. And and so the Adult Swim guys went completely bananas for this uh, this this pitch and this concept. And I was... I um, they did. Yeah, they, they were just like they were like green so light. You had to say boob coin, thing or this thing that you created for fembots. I'm confused. It's it's the second okay. thing. It's, it's made up. Just checking. It's made up. So it's okay. made up. It's made up for the show, and it was the hook for the pitch. Okay. So so you brought. Uh, I just want to make sure I have this right, Melanie. I'm sorry to interrupt again. So you brought a made up thing to the editorial <laughs> meeting and asked people if they knew what it was. <laughs> Correct? It's one of the new yeah, cryptocurrencies. Okay, so, okay, but look, why this is part of why now? tech is absurd. Because <laughs> it, tech is absurd like this because you could say this shit, Google it, and it does fucking exist. Like, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm going to segue right now into these other ideas that I pitched to Russell about how tech and drugs, they just go hand in hand. I feel like every new stupid app that comes online is a result of a lot of people smoking a lot of weed, dropping a lot of acid, and Word. doing all kinds of like psychedelics. And Russell actually was the one that told me about the rampant microdosing that's happening in Silicon Valley, which is basically old news. Um, I ended up doing a lot of like searches on that and sent you guys links about it. I don't know if you had a chance to look at any of them, but do any of you hear about people that are microdosing? Yeah. I mean, I have a friend and a creative partner who lives in California. He is a microdoser. He's very private about it. Even after he told me, like I was very interested and I had a lot of follow-up questions for him. Uh, and he kind of made it clear. He's like, Hey, like nobody in my life really knows that I do this. Um, so don't bring it up. Like we have a lot of friends in common. He was like, Oh, for instance, like this friend doesn't know and that friend doesn't know, please don't. Cause I don't want to have to defend it at dinner, dinner parties essentially, you know, but he's like, I feel very comfortable with it. Uh, he, he doesn't have any questions about it. He just doesn't want to have to defend himself. And I, I get it because I, I have an incredible amount of respect for him. And he, we work together on a lot of different projects. But sometimes when he like drops the ball on something, I'm like, is this guy tripping? Like literally tripping right now. You know what I mean? Like whatever, we have like a scheduled call and he'll like forget about it or something. And I'll be like, oh, did you ever email this person back? And he'll be like, what? You know, but like, but like there is this like microdose bias in my mind. Uh, right. So I understand why he would 
be nervous to be public about it. You know, you don't need to tell everybody that you're taking acid every day or shrooms or whatever. I know. And I agree. And what's crazy is when I Googled it, there were all kinds of blog posts by these different startup guys talking about how microdosing helps them. And there's this guy in New York that's actually giving seminars on how to drop little bits of acid here and there that's going to make you more um, creative and actually keep up with all the trends that are happening. Does everybody, I want to give just a quick definition of microdosing please, for please. people who might not be familiar with it. Um, but microdosing is uh, a trend. I think it's been around for, you know, a few years, as Mel said, uh, of mostly creative people, many of them in Silicon Valley and beyond, taking small almost imperceptible amounts of psychedelic drugs, usually daily or in cycles. Well, they'll do it once every three days or something, a little bit of LSD, a little bit of hallucinogenic uh, mushrooms in order to stimulate their creative minds, right? Like it's particularly popular among people who work in tech because that's all about innovation. Like there's so much pressure to come up with new things and new ways of thinking about things. And there's so much propaganda about how, psychedelic drugs have influenced people like you know steve jobs when he died like in his new york times obituary like in the third paragraph was like a quote about he said the best thing he ever did for his career like when people asked him like how did you come up with these great ideas and he said i took lsd you know and i think that influenced a lot of people but you wouldn't know if someone was true i've never microdosed before i've only ever macro dosed i'm a big <laughs> macro doser <laughs> but i'm old school you know but from pe people i know who have done it it's not perceptible like if you're hanging out with them you don't think like this person's tripping and the person who's doing it is just like oh it just loosens things up a little bit you think a little bit differently so that's my like little mini definition of microdosing before we move on yeah thank you for the the definition i wasn't sure if everybody knew what we were talking thank you for about educating the squares in the room i appreciate it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> squares are people too i was gonna say i see i was like reading because i just like googled it really fast and actually um this person she's like a silicon valley professional she wrote a book about it called a really good day <laughs> she she i guess recounts like how um cons consistently like microdosing um you know of, of lsd helped her overcome depression right that's so, yeah i've heard that as well i've heard it used and actually the new york times magazine had their issue last week the cover story was about using psychedelics uh, therapeutically to help treat hmm. people with depression and uh, anxiety. I don't think it was microdosing, but it did definitely not like dropping, you know, quad tabs of Beavis and Butthead acid and like frying balls with a therapist. Like it's very regulated, like any other drug that you would use to treat people. But it would make sense that micro, they would do the same thing with microdosing just to open people up a little bit, you know, break down the walls. Well, so another thing that's happening as far as like tech and, and stuff that came from the 90s that's getting a reboot are they're now calling them algo raves. Have you guys algo attended raves? any of these? I never Amelia, you're the youngest here, so I just want to know like, <laughs> if, if, if I'm like dating myself here. I, I went to my first algo rave a couple of weeks ago. I'll go rave. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I just came from Ohio where people were drinking wine, and playing banjos. <laughs> All right. So this is like oh the nerdiest God. shit I've ever seen. This is hilarious. But, people dance yeah. to music generated from algorithms. I walked, 
I walked into this place and everybody's just standing there staring at this, these guys like on their laptops. And I was just like, okay, so what's happening here? Nobody's dancing. And there's a screen behind them that's split in half. And on one side, you see them actually typing the code and manipulating different, you know, little things here and there. And on the other side, you see like all the images changing as a result of all the, the code that they're manipulating on the other side. And then on top of it, the music is changing. And so people are like doing this like really robotic kind of like twitching <laughs> to all the different feats. And it's like, please tell me you and I was video like, oh, of kids, that. the kids are into. <laughs> I do have video. And I've been kind of sitting on that one for a little bit, but Mix Mag magazine already covered this last year, but they were focusing on the scene in Brixton, which usually starts everything before it ever gets to New York. So I think we still might be a little, you know, like ahead of the curve on this one. So I'll, I'll get that story together at some point. You know, part of what I do for ACM is, is organizing data events. And the last one that I went to was some crazy shit where they're actually making Minority Report um, that film that, you know, the cops can actually predict what kind of crimes are going to be happening in different communities based mm -hmm. off of data. What was interesting about this guy's presentation was you could look at it and see how they're literally using police data to track minority movements in different communities, whether they're you know, immigrants that are speaking different languages and the reasons why they might commit certain crimes. Um, and that was just some sci-fi shit that I was just like, like head exploded. Um, so that's some of the other types of um, coverage that I'd like to do. And I don't want to be the one writing all these stories. So I will start trying to assign these to some other people that might be interested in this type of coverage. I want to talk about active shooters and China's social credit I want to talk about China. That's what I want to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you want to present it? Tell, tell us what it is. Uh, hold on. I don't have the story up with me. Sorry. Well, I mean, the reason Yiming is a good person to present this is nerd. because and, and somebody else said this, too. But, no. Well, I mean, you are a nerd, but that's not why you're the best person to present this. I'm nervous. Said that this was... Mel, did you say this? This was your favorite Black Mirror episode? Yeah, she did. It was one of my favorites. And you've watched yeah. it twice? I'm surprised by that right, question, I don't, I, com, uh, I, answer. What, uh, what, why are you... Why there's are you so surprised? many other ones that you could have said. There's so many good like, ones. White like, Wolf was fucking traumatizing. So White Wolf, White Bear, one of those. That was... White I can't, Bear? I can't oh, watch White the episode. Bear. That fucked me up for like a week after I watched it. I'm well, still you guys might it. have different. You guys might have different criteria that you're thinking of as you're as you're. I, I really like, like. I know this. I know this makes me soft, <laughs> but my favorite one is the dating app one. Oh, oh I love that, that one. That's a good one. Yes. That was a good it's one. A, yes. it's such a beautiful where they, episode where they time out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one is great. I love that it's one. It's like, it's the only, the reason I say it makes me soft is because it's basically the only Black Mirror episode that has a happy ending. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? It does. Like everything yeah. else is just like, the world is a mess. Our souls are completely depleted. There is no redemption for human beings. Uh, and technology is putting us on a greased pole straight to hell. Uh, and that one was really just about uh, soul Timing. And it was about, it was about timing. Well, okay. There, I'm sure there are lots of different interpretations, but 
come on, that episode was was about soulmates. Soulmates are real. People are really meant for each other. If you fight for something, you keep it. Was that not the takeaway? Am I really no, being no, too romantic I, about no, this? No, no, no. no <laughs> I took that away too. But it, but what I thought was interesting is that they need each other, but they're not ready for each other. That sounds like real life. Wait, Amelia, are you not <laughs> Amelia? Are you not a Black Mirror watcher? I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, I sorry, should get involved. We're, we're talking about a TV show for it's like no, I should one get of the involved. worst things that your friends can I do. I haven't like, seen Black Mirror either. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry, Wait, so, All right. Okay. So the reason we're <laughs> the reason we're nerding out about this it's actually relevant to a news item. The, the clip that we have is from Business Insider, and I'll just read the headline: China has started ranking citizens with a creepy social credit system. Oh my god. Here's what you can do wrong and the embarrassing, demeaning ways they can punish you. Uh, the Chinese state is setting up a vast ranking system that will monitor the behavior of its enormous population and rank them all based on their, quote, social credit. Uh, and there's a lot more here, but uh, the reason we're talking about Black Mirror is that there's an episode that's very, very similar uh, in terms of the concept, which is, you know, and some of this we do already, right? Like, you know, if you have a restaurant, you have everybody who comes in there is a restaurant restaurant reviewer because they're going to go on Yelp right away, right? And if you drive Uber uh, or if you're an Uber passenger, you better be a good passenger because if you have body odor, you might get two stars and another driver might not want to pick you up. There are a lot of examples of, of places where we regulate each other and give each other social scoring. But in this episode of Black Mirror, everybody you interact with gives you a social score and it affects your ability to get into schools. Uh, it affects your ability to get jobs. They look at this social ranking uh, and it appears, and I, I, you know, it's a slant comparison, but it's a good thought exercise that that's essentially what uh, is happening in China right now. Did I do a good job on the synopsis there for the people who love that episode, Mel and Eming. Yeah, so accurate. Uh, so yeah. here, I'm just going to go ahead and take a devil's advocate position here. I know I can think of 10 million ways this can go wrong, which is probably how it's going to go. But what if it just makes people act better? You know what I mean? Like, what if now you really have a motivation to like hold the door for the person behind you and like help a stranger carry a stroller up the stairs? You mean in China, um, right? <laughs> I don't know what the implication is. There, I mean, like, it's, its own little thing. Like, they already have shit going on for it. You want, so you're just saying mirror it there, but not necessarily here. Or you're talking about just China? I just mean as a thought experiment, right? Like, is it, could this help? Right? China is a crazy place. I won't pretend to know more about it than anybody else, but it's a lot of people and with a lot of social upheaval and a pretty long, wacky history. I think Franz Sherman, one of the founding members of New American Media, who was a China scholar at Berkeley, would agree. It's a wacky place. Did you see that some of the things that they're punishing that people for is, is spending too long playing video games, wasting money on frivolous purchases, and posting on social media? Those are punishable offenses. Damn, There's and no now Facebook I'm wondering what my China. score is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the creepy part, right? When you have, like, regulation on your on your leisure time. Like, nobody judges anybody on the TV that they watch anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you could be, like, literally, like, a Columbia economics professor and spend three hours a day watching Real Housewives. And people were like, oh, that's chill, you know? Uh, it's scary to think that our trashy indulgences would have some social repercussions. I agree. Like I said, there's no shortage of reasons it can go wrong. I'm just saying maybe people. But then you're saying, but then you're saying people would be nicer 
if they don't watch shitty reality shows? Well, I mean, how many points do you lose for watching The Real Housewives of Beijing versus how many points do you gain by helping a stranger carry a stroller up the stairs? Do you know what I mean? Like, I would hope that you get more points for helping somebody than just kind of being a lazy slob. But, I, you know, I don't know. Is this part of it then? Like, like you can gain bonus points by being good? Oh, I don't know what China's doing. I'm just talking okay. about like what... <laughs> What could this be? And I'm trying to take the devil's advocacy position. And then it becomes the purge, like all that pent up, like all that other crap. Like, right. People aren't doing it because they want to. They have to do it. Well, here's the other thing only a place like China could do it because, you know, it's a totalitarian state, right? It's like, you know, it's a communist country. So they're just like, they can say like this is mandatory, and then everybody's like, okay, you know. It's like you tell anybody, like, it, like you know, like President Obama's like, hey, like everyone's gonna have health insurance. People are like, nah, man, hell nah, that's un-American. Like, don't try to give me a doctor. So like, if that's what how people respond when you try to like give them something nice, uh, how are they gonna respond when you tell them like you can't play video games for three hours a day anymore and still get a job? It de- and- maybe it depends on the video game. Can I segue into the active shooter video game, or is that a terrible way to end the podcast? Um, <laughs> I, I actually have a point that I want to make about this. It's controversial, so please, please, Melanie, tell us about the school shooter video game. Oh, okay. So I was saying it, it depends on the video game that you're playing. So there was literally um, a video game that was about to be released but prevented it from coming out because it was it gave the video game player the ability to shoot up classrooms and auditoriums as a heavy metal soundtrack thumps in the background. The developer of this video game um, says that, I guess it's, he's from Russia and he was pissed. <laughs> he, he criticized the mothers that posted the petition as haters. <laughs> critics why are you hating on um, my school shooter video game yeah basically <laughs> why are you so, hating I, w- I want to make a game for people to like it's shooting school it's nice why are you hating so, oh, yeah. so, so please tell us right. what's the controversy you have to share okay. with us it's, it's not a controversy it's just i have a couple of insights in defense of video games right one i will say this right i work for the public defender's office in harlem a lot of my clients are people who are accused of violent crimes I grew up in San Francisco in the 90s, and uh, as did Charlie, so he remembers his time. Uh, That was a very violent and dark time. A lot of drugs, there were a lot of gangs, there were a lot of shootings. And I think, uh, and I think statistics back this up, even though society is far from perfect, things have really tapered off, right? The level of violence um, that we see now compared to what you know, what I experienced growing up in the 90s, and, and this is reinforced statistically, has changed. It's dropped off a lot, right? And a lot of people have different explanations. The Freakonomics people were like, oh, it's because Roe v. Wade. And I know that's a very complicated position too, but around the time, you know, once abortions were safe and legal across the country, there were a lot fewer babies who, you know, were being born to people maybe who couldn't take care of them or maybe who didn't want to have children, whatever. There are a lot of controversial theories. My controversial theory is this, like that's a lot of this violence, you know, 
it is in many ways like it's an adolescent impulse right it's like young people and depending on their environments and you know and especially young males we are competitive we're violent you know it's it's kind of like encoded in our dna and now kids can play grand theft auto right like grand theft auto is so good that you can act out all of those or halo or whatever you know version of a violent video game that you can kind of have or even whatever you know you want to play you know nba 2k there are so many ways to output that weird male violent energy that i am positing and this relates to the school shooter video game is this a way could this potentially be an outlet for violent impulses so that people don't necessarily have to act on them. I don't know. It's more of a question than anything else. Okay, so I used to be a pretty avid player of online video games, shooters in particular, like first-person and third-person shooter games. Uh, I played an ultra-violent video game by the name of Gears of War. In that series, you have a machine gun called a Lancer, that has a chainsaw attached to it. So like, as you shoot, and if somebody gets close enough to you, you can literally saw them in half. Kind of a chainsaw band. And uh, what's crazy is I used to love playing those games. And when I played those games, a lot of the guys who I would end up building like uh, long-term online friendships with, we would continuously like look for each other online, go into like virtual parties with each other. Whether we was playing the same game or not, we would just like hang out in these like parties and talk to each other and chill. And a lot of those dudes would turn out to be uh, either active servicemen or dudes who was injured and uh, basically playing those games as prescribed by doctors for their PTSD. Right. So flash forward to 2012, January 2012. I'm three feet away from my little brother when he get murdered. Close enough to see everything, but too far to do anything. After that, I stopped playing those games. And it's like for a while, I would still go online and kind of like still go into those parties and hang out. I just wouldn't play the games. But after a while, it was just literally like the stress that uh you go through playing those games uh it's kind of it was triggering for me like just hearing all the booms and the gunshots in the background you know people talking about the video game in a way that made it sound real and so like i'm not i'm i am a veteran of street wars i'm not a military veteran but the trauma is the same you know what i'm saying And so in my PTSD and in my therapy, I I went the complete other route. Like I I look for all the harmony and the peace that I can find. You know what I'm saying? But for a lot of people, those games are cathartic. Like I know for a fact because I used to play them and I played with people who those games were actively healing when I was playing with them. And and you're saying for other people who had PTSD because they had been uh, at war, for instance, it was healing. It was therapeutic for them, even though you didn't have that experience, right? Is that, am I hearing you right? Yeah, because, well, what's crazy is like, um, if as you land there is it's like two things that they really miss uh the camaraderie that unit right. and then like active combat like once you in it 
is you know is in you they kind of got to scratch two itches well i hesitate to say it because i don't i don't want to fully become sandy close but i i think everybody would agree when when they say that's a pretty powerful story and (laughs) (laughs) whenever you're ready to write about it uh thank you for sharing that and thank you for um you know agreeing to write about it thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of margin call uh the quest on editorial meeting and podcast thank you amelia for being here thank you charlie uh for refraining from hawking a loogie while we do our outros thanks to eming as always and melanie a very special thank you for walking us through this introduction to our tech vertical we've got a lot of new story ideas i'm very excited thanks again for joining us we'll be back again next week take care everybody This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.